Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Uh, now you might look at me um, and think there is nothing uh, from World War II era that would play a direct role in Kellen Anderson's life. I mean, I was born in 1981. Uh, thinking about the year 1943, uh, you'd be like, yeah, that, there just couldn't have been anything that's too directly involving Kellen's life. And I, I think the truth is, is that there's probably more of us that were affected by that era than what we actually might realize. I'm going to go back to 1940. It was uh, 1940, my grandpa was finishing up high school in Alexandria, Minnesota. And this dude was bright, just a smart guy. Uh, even in his last dying days when he was 89 years old, he still understood math concepts that I only wish as, as a homeschooling dad that I understood. Um, I try to help my kids with, with math stuff, and I'm like, you need to call my sister the math teacher because I can't help you right now. Um, wish that I had the, the brain that my grandpa had. But then it, it is in 1942, it was October 12th of 1942, uh, with World War II raging on at this time, my grandpa decided to enlist in the U.S. Navy. And I don't, know, I don't know exactly why he chose the Navy. I don't know if he thought that that was the safest branch to go into. I'm not really sure. But it was about a year later, November 24th, 1943, probably the most important day that ever happened in his life. Um, that day, nobody saw the torpedo coming. Nobody saw the, the submarine that sent the torpedo. Uh, the worst part about it is that the torpedo hit this U.S. carrier that my grandpa was on, the Liscombe Bay. It hit it right in the middle of the ship where the, the bombs and everything was located that could just explode. And so what happened is an explosion took place that they said for miles and miles people saw this explosion on the water. Uh, now, just prior to this torpedo hitting the ship, my grandpa had been asleep uh, below deck and his friend had been up on duty. And what happened was, um, shortly before this took place, my, my, friend's, my, my grandpa's friend, he actually got sick. And so him and my grandpa switched places. And the thing about this is, the only place where there were survivors on this ship were, was the place where my grandpa ended up going to. Out of, I think, 916 people that were on this ship, there was 272 that lived that day. So only less than 30% of the people survived this explosion. And I know that every day for the rest of my grandpa's life, he thought about that friend of his. He thought about the, the seemingly insignificant illness that my friend had that caused him to switch places. And it's because of that that my grandpa actually lived. And, and then you, you think about that kind of stuff, and it kind of blows your mind sometimes. Because um, I'm thinking if that one seemingly insignificant illness hadn't taken place, my mom wouldn't have been born. My kids wouldn't have been born. Obviously, I wouldn't have been born. Like, that's crazy stuff to think about. Um, one seemingly insignificant illness, and one family line was essentially wiped out from the possibility of existence, while the other one was allowed to exist. Like I said, I know my grandpa thought about this friend every day the rest of his life. And I'll be honest with you, every single Memorial Day that comes along, I think about this, this friend that my grandpa had. I don't even know what his name is. Uh, I've actually got, some of you have gone in my office and you've seen, I've got some blueprints for a, a Navy ship. It's actually the Liscombe Bay. 
every time I look at that and I really think about it, I, I think about my grandpa's friend. Because had that one thing not happened, it would have changed the course of history, at least for my family. Um, nothing that happened that day was insignificant for my grandpa. And so this morning we're, we're taking another look at a story in the, the Christmas story. I think it's probably the one that most of us think is the, the, the group of people, the characters, that are maybe the most insignificant throughout the story. And we're talking about the Magi. You might know them as the wise men. You might have heard them as the, the three kings. Um, but that's the group that we're going to look at today. And just like anybody else in this Christmas story, they're anything but in, insignificant. Their wisdom actually played a vital role in the safety of baby Jesus, uh, of the safety of Mary and Joseph. And there's a lot of wisdom that I think we see in the story here with the, the guys that we call the wise men. There, there's a lot of wisdom here. And I think that there's some wisdom that each of us can take as we walk out of here this morning. So I want to read this passage. It's found in Matthew 2, starting in verse 1, going through verse 12. So it's a little bit of a longer portion of the, of the story, but it's a good one. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be my shepherd, uh, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the, the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So now, I'm gonna, I hate to break this to you, but the traditional story that we hear about the wise men, the magi, uh, the traditional story that we sing about, it's not exactly what we see in the Bible. Uh, in the Bible, we don't see anything about them being kings. Uh, in the Bible, we don't see anything about it only being three of them. In fact, the odds are that they were traveling with a, a large number of magi. There was a, probably a large caravan. I think the reason why it probably gets narrowed down to three only is because they brought three, three gifts. Um, there's a lot about this story that, that maybe we don't quite always get right. And we, we love to sing that song, We Three Kings of... Actually, let's be honest. I don't know if anybody likes that song, We Three Kings of Orient are. If that's your favorite Christmas song, there's a lot of other better ones out there. Okay, guys? I'm just, I'm just saying. The um, Bible also doesn't say they're from the Orient. It says that they're from the East. Uh, so who were these magi? They were, they were influential people from the east. They could have been anyone from Zoroastrians to Medes, Persians, Arabs, Jews. We're just not really sure. But we do know they served as court advisors who were skilled in astrology and star studies. Now, the crazy thing is when I read this, I'm like, wait, 
God used these people who were doing astrology, divination. This is definitely, in the Bible, it is definitely forbidden, this kind of stuff. And so what is, why is God using, God is actually using a star, almost like a GPS tracker for these, this group of people. They've been looking up in the stars for years and years, looking for a king to come, and God uses a star to guide them. I don't, I don't know if I have great answers to why or how God did this, but I, I do love, there's a, a commentator, Craig Keener, I talk about him a lot when I'm in the book of Matthew. Uh, he wrote, wrote really good stuff about this. He said, for one special event in history, the God who rules the heavens chose to reveal himself where pagans were looking. See, God has the option to do that anytime he wants. In fact, some of you were probably brought out of crazy ways of living because God met you exactly where he wanted to meet you. In the place where you were maybe looking in all the wrong places for all the wrong things, God showed himself to you. And so when we look at this passage and we're like, man, these guys are astrologers, they're doing divination. Uh, That doesn't seem... I believe that God spoke to these people, these magi, in the place where they were at. And I think that God does that for a lot of us a lot of the time. I might be a little bit off the path that I'm supposed to be walking. It's amazing how many times when I'm off the path and I'm not going the way that God wants me to go, I'm not even looking in his direction, and he will find a way to speak to me in that moment. He'll find a way to readjust my path. And I think that's what we see God doing with the Magi here. And I think that's something that we should actually, um, this is just kind of a side note, this is something that we should probably put into our prayer life. Lord, I know there's going to be at some point today where I'm going to walk off the path that you have designed for me. I'm going to do something in a way that you don't want me to do. I ask that you would, I ask that you would find me in the place where I'm even walking away from you and show yourself to me. Guide me back towards that path. I believe that God desires to do that with us each and every single day. And he did that with the Magi. Everything that happened in this story with the Magi, it was to pronounce the coming of a king. Uh, The three gifts that they brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, those were gifts that were brought to a king when a king was born. They were the gifts of royalty. They were expensive gifts. Everything they were doing was about a royal birth. And they've been looking for this king to be born for years and years and years. See, years ago in the Hebrew Bible, there's a guy named Daniel. And Daniel, most of us, we know the story of Daniel a little bit. If you've ever heard the story Daniel in the lion's den, that's Daniel that we're talking about. Daniel had been a Jewish boy who was taken off into captivity and he, he gained leadership in this foreign land. And he actually became a leader of the Magi. And there were prophecies in the book of Daniel that pointed towards this coming king. And so these Magi are actually following some of, some of uh, these prophecies that Daniel was, was a part of. There's a lot of wisdom in what these magi do in this story. One of the things that they do that's extremely wise is uh, after they had seen the baby Jesus, they're told by an angel, hey, you're not, don't go back to King Herod because he doesn't, he doesn't want good things for Jesus. And so they went another way back home. They kept Jesus safe that way. But there's a couple things in this story that I want us to look specifically at, at the wisdom of the magi, because I think it's wisdom that we can also apply into our own lives. And the first one is this. The Magi had the wisdom to allow Jesus to mess with their comfort. Now that's something that, I'm, I'll be honest with you, we, we talk about this quite a bit. Especially in this series about the seemingly insignificant people in the Christmas story. We have to be willing to let God mess with our comfort. This story is fascinating to me because 
the, the journey that the Magi went on, we, we think in our brains, oh, they just they got on some donkeys and they started going to, to Bethlehem. There are scholars out there who actually think that the journey that they took lasted up to four years long. Part of the reason is because Jesus was probably two years old when they actually got to the house that he was in. And so I'm thinking about this and I'm going, okay, there's a long journey coming ahead if we're going to follow after this king that we're seeing. If I'm the one who spotted the star in the sky that is the one telling me that there's a king that's been born, I might be looking at that star and being like, for your journey? Mm, I don't see it. Like, I would have just kind of passed over this prophecy. Been like, no, I don't want, I don't want to go and do that. See, they, the, the Magi were okay with some physical discomfort. Four years going off on this caravan to go find baby Jesus. But it wasn't just about a physical discomfort. It was actually even more so about a political discomfort. There was a political discomfort that took place pretty immediately once they got to Jerusalem. See, they, they go into King Herod's palace because obviously they're thinking... If a king has been born in Jerusalem, it's got to be in the palace of King Herod. King Herod must have had a son. And so that's where they go to. This becomes a political issue very, very quickly. Because you see, when they get there, Herod's like, I haven't, had a, I haven't had a kid. And so I don't know what this king is that you're talking about. The religious leaders, they didn't want anything to do with this. They're like... Not really sure what you're talking about. They don't even go and follow along with the Magi. When the Magi decide to go and search for this Messiah, they don't even go and follow with them. I don't understand that. These guys are religious leaders, and the Magi are looking for the Messiah, and the religious leaders don't even care because they had gotten so comfortable politically with King Herod. Things weren't perfect, but they were, they were comfortable you see, most of Jerusalem had come to long for political stability more than they longed for a spiritual deliverer. They wanted political st stability over, over this deliverer that was promised to come into their world. And I wonder sometimes, isn't that what, what I settle for at times? I settle for comfort that is comfort that is not Jesus. Like sometimes we all, we all try to look for mental stability in our lives mental health stability. And so a lot of times what happens is we look for mental health stability apart from Jesus. We look for ways to check out from this world at little bits at time instead of checking into Jesus, which checking into Jesus gives us a, a, a deeper kind of peace than we could ever have checking out. If we were to check into Jesus more often instead of check out from life, I believe we'd have a more stable mental health in our country today. But you see, we long for ease more than we long for the ease of our deliverer. Those are two different things. Just general ease, man, that comes and goes. But the ease of our deliverer, the ease that the deliverer wants to give to us, that Jesus wants to give to us, that is something so much deeper. And these are two very different things. Looking for stability in life is not the same as finding Jesus. We look for stability in so many ways. There is, there is a presidential election coming. Lord, help every one of us, right? We, we've, I think we've all kind of come to despise the next nine months of having a, a presidential campaign. About half of you are going to think that whoever gets in, you're going to be content with. About half of you are going to 
Whoever gets in, you're going to think that the world is literally going to blow up in flames the next day. And the truth is, every single one of us is going to be wrong. Because if the person gets in that you want in, you're going to find out that they annoy you a little bit after that. The person doesn't get in that you want to get in, you're going to wake up the next day and the world's still going to be revolving around the sun. It's an amazing thing that happens. Whoever gets elected is not going to guarantee any one of us stability. Four years later, another election is coming. No matter what, we can't count on politics, we can't count on people, happiness, or anything else to give us the stability in life that we're, is the thing that we're actually seeking for. The only stability that actually matters is the stability that Jesus, our Redeemer, our Deliverer, is able to give to us. Now the crazy thing in this story for me is that it's, it's the Magi, a group of pagans, who are the ones who allow Jesus to mess with their life a little bit. They're the ones who allow Jesus to mess with their comfort. Again, like I said, they, they get to Jerusalem, and they come to the, the palace, and they're expecting this king to be in the palace at Jerusalem. And when they get there, they, they are full in on this story about this newborn king. And they come to the king, and they're like, hey, where is this new king? And the moment that they said that, it was a challenge that they put on King Herod. You see, King Herod thought of himself as the king of the, of the Jews. That's how he would have described himself. And so the moment that they're saying, hey, there's this new king of the Jews born, they're actually in trouble. This is a dangerous moment for their lives. They come right to him, Matthew 2, 2. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And I imagine that the room had to feel pretty awkward at this point. All of the, all of the king's attendants, they're like, oh, dude, they didn't just say that. Herod's the king. What's, what's Herod going to do? And their eyes get all wide. I have been that person in the room who has said the stupid thing that makes everything awkward every day of my life. I have done it almost every day of my life at this point. I remember one time I was a sophomore in high school. I was in Spanish class. And my, my teacher did not teach the whole class long. And so about the last 20 minutes of class, me and two of my buddies and two other girls, we would just sit around and we would talk most of the end of the, the class for like 20 minutes. And one day, I don't know what came over me. I really don't. But one of the girls was talking. It was my sophomore year. I was not dating Crystal yet, so forgive me on this. But I looked at the girl, and she was talking, and I just said, you know, you're really cute. Out of nowhere, people. It was the most uncomfortable. Some of you right now are like, that's uncomfortable. I can't even stand that he just told the story. My friends were sitting there like, dude, smooth, really smooth, man. It's awesome. Now you just totally freaked her out. Yes, I know. It was that awkward moment. We all have those awkward moments. And this was an awkward moment. The moment that, that these magi were like, hey, there's a new king in town. What's going to happen? But Herod, he doesn't kill the magi. Instead, what he does is he brings these religious leaders who know the Hebrew Bible, what we call our Old Testament. They know the Hebrew Bible. And so Herod's like, hey, this Messiah dude, where is he supposed to be born? And they know exactly where to find that in Scripture. So these, these pagan magi, not followers of God, they're put in this uncomfortable position. Are they now going to follow the revelation of God from the Hebrew Bible? They've been following their astrology up to now. And it's at this point where, where God is like, okay, now, now you've got to take prophecy from God the rest of the way to go and find where this king is. Between you and me, somehow I think that God 
used their practice of astrology to point them in the direction of Jesus. But it wasn't going to take them all the way there. They had to at some point get out of their comfort zone and say, okay, we're going to follow what God is saying, what God is leading us to do right now. See, God has a way of giving people, even pagans, opportunities to respond to Jesus. That's what God wants to do with every single person that you know in your world that doesn't know Jesus. He is doing everything he can in his power to make a way to give an opportunity for people to actually know who Jesus is. But responding to that, it actually requires us getting out of a comfort zone. And God might be messing with your comfort zone right now. Because see, I think for us to respond to God, sometimes it takes God getting us out of, that, out of that place of comfort for us to finally respond to him. Your kid might be giving you more trouble than you ever thought could possibly happen. God's moving you out of a comfort place. Are you going to respond and trust him in it? Uh, your job might have you all out of sorts and make you feel like you're completely out of whack in life. Your health isn't allowing you to do the things that you want to do. How do you think that Jesus is asking you to, to, to work out this moment of your life? Whatever the, the, the discomfort, the frustration that you're going through. Are you allowing him to mess with your comfort in order to bring you a little bit closer to the person of Jesus? Because we have a choice. We have a choice to let it draw us closer or to take that discomfort and let, us, let it take us even further away from Jesus. We all have that choice. How are you responding to Jesus in your discomfort? Are you shutting down or are you letting him actually lead you? So that's the first piece of wisdom that we find in the story of the Magi. The second one is this. The Magi had the wisdom to seek after Jesus rather than take him for granted. Now some of that might sound a little bit similar to what we just talked about, but there's, I want to get a little bit more specific here. The religious leaders in Jerusalem, they failed to act on the most critical issue that was facing them at this point. They had biblical knowledge of who the Messiah was. Like I said, King Herod came to them and said, okay, where is this Messiah going to be born? They knew exactly where to turn. They went straight to Micah 5.2, which says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. When you're reading this story, haven't you ever thought, man... If these guys, if these religious leaders really thought that the Messiah had maybe just been born into the world in the city of Bethlehem, why didn't they go with the Magi when the Magi went to Bethlehem to go and look for him? As long as I read this story, I will never, I will never understand that. Except for, I think the religious leaders were complacent. Other than that, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, see, Craig Keener actually points, points out something about Herod and the religious leaders. It was only Herod who wanted Jesus to be killed. Only Herod wanted the Messiah to be killed. The religious leaders, they, they, didn't, want, they didn't want this Messiah to get killed. They didn't want this possible baby king to, to be killed. They just, they just didn't want to go and seek after him. But the problem was, is that one generation later, it was their children that were the ones scheming for the death of Jesus. So you can either take Jesus for granted or you can seek him out. But don't think that how you choose to live out your faith is not going to have an effect on the people that come after you. 
The degree to which you seek Jesus today will leave a legacy of faith for those who follow, who follow you, either for good or for bad. How you choose to live your life of faith today, it does matter. The way that I choose to live my life of faith, it is going to make a difference in the lives of my kids. The problem with so many of us is that it's so easy for us to become complacent. Whether that is in our job, our marriages, our faith, our exercise, like you name it, we get complacent in so many different areas of our lives. If you don't have passion for things, what happens is that you see that complacency tends to break them down. I don't know if you've ever heard about the second law of thermodynamics. What it says is that entropy is always increasing. In other words, chaos is always increasing. There's a breakdown that is always happening. Unless you add energy to something, there is a breakdown. So the sun gives energy to, to the seed, and that's what gives it its life. But if the sun, take away the sun, take away the energy, the plant's going to die. It's, chaos is going to happen. And I think that we actually have a second law of thermodynamics in our faith. If we are not, like we talked about last week, we talked about passion. If we're not adding energy and passion, if we're not letting God enter, add energy and passion into our faith, what's going to happen is there's going to be a breakdown. And that breakdown is not going to just affect you and me. It's going to affect the people in our lives that we are having an influence on. If your faith is going to be complacent, don't be upset when you end up leaving a, a legacy of chaotic faith behind you for the people that you love. You think about the religious leaders again. They didn't, they didn't want this, this new baby to be killed. That was Herod's doing. But just one generation later, it was, it was the next group of religious leaders that they decided they, they wanted to scheme against Jesus to the point that they had him killed. They murdered him. The complacency of the early religious leaders led to something even more awful down the road for the next group of religious leaders. Spiritual complacency, I think, might be the greatest challenge that any of us are going to face right now today. True wisdom is living in, with an understanding that your today will make an imprint on someone else's tomorrow and it has eternal ramifications. Every choice that you and I make today, it is going to have some ramifications. It's going it's to have some things eternally that are going to come from that. Look back at Daniel. Daniel... He was this Jewish boy who came into this foreign land and he was this amazing leader. And then what happened is he, he was able to lead the Magi in this foreign land. And because of what he did, these Magi, hundreds of years later, actually set out on a journey to go and find this new king. And when they got there to this new king, even though they had been people who were following astrology, they were looking in the stars, that was their religion. When they got to this new baby, baby king, Jesus, they actually bowed down and they worshipped him. If it hadn't started with Daniel hundreds of years ago, what would have happened with the Magi? They didn't do it all the right way, but they got started on the right path. What are you going to do today, tomorrow, this week, the coming year, that might just leave an imprint for Jesus in the world that you live in? What's your character going to speak to people about who Jesus is? What are your words going to speak to people about who Jesus is? I, I had an opportunity uh, this last week after we had our kids' midweek program. Uh, we, do, we do an after-school uh, Bible club program at Wilson Elementary School every Wednesday after school. Not every Wednesday, but a lot of them. And I'm going to tell you what, this week, it was awful. 
there was like seven different kids that I wanted to kick out of there for a couple of weeks. It was, it was just one of those weeks, and we have those sometimes. And I was joking around with my team afterwards. I was like, hey, I normally email you after the bad weeks to make sure that you stay encouraged. I'm just going to talk into this bullhorn right now and tell you, keep doing it. I thank you. Love you. Goodbye. That's my email. And so I wasn't going to email them. But then I got home, and I had, I had to write an email because something happened after midweek. A guy came to my house, and he gave me two envelopes uh, with gift cards in them for two families for Christmas, just to bless two families. And what happened was, is I was able to go and find two families of kids that used to come to our Kids Midweek program. The only reason I know these families is because we've had leaders over the course of years who have come and who have been faithful week in and week out to these kids at Midweek. And what I was telling my leaders is, even on the nights like this where everything seems awful, what you're doing matters. There is something that is coming about from this. There are families who, it may not be tonight, it may not be a night, you know, a week from now, but at some point, a child is going to come to Jesus. At some point, a family is going to get to hear what the gospel of Jesus actually is because we're able to give God's love to them in ways that go even beyond Kids Midweek. What are we doing every single day of our lives to walk the path that God is actually putting before us? Nothing that you do today for Jesus is in, insignificant. Every little thing, and, and, and the tough thing about it, it's like working out. You get up and you work out and you don't see the effects of, of the exercise you've been doing. And so a lot of people, they quit. And the same thing happens in our faith. You make, you make steps towards Jesus and you don't always see what's happening. And I want to encourage you, keep making steps towards Jesus. Don't give in. Don't, don't pull back. Because it's the little thing, day by day, where God grows us towards Jesus a little more that is going to make an eternal impact in the world the way that God wants us to make an eternal impact. Do not give up on, on these, what are seemingly insignificant movements towards Jesus. Don't take Jesus for granted. The most sacrificial, the most pure, the most improbable, the most loving thing that has ever been done throughout history was Jesus coming to this world so that he could die for us. You may not always know where Jesus is leading you to, Sometimes that journey might take you a lot longer than you'd expect it to take, like it did for the Magi. But true wisdom is found by choosing not to ever shut down, to not ever walk away from that path that God's leading you down. My question this morning is, have you been too complacent in your walk with Jesus lately? Have you been okay with just not letting your heart grow towards Jesus at all? Can I tell you, every single one of us struggles with that at some point. It's okay. I don't want you to walk away feeling guilty like, oh, I've been complacent. Kellen, Kellen's like putting the guilt trip on me. No. I think this is the spirit of Jesus being able to come in and speak to us today and saying, hey, I get it that you're complacent. This world is hard to live in. But I'm asking you now to get back on the path. Get back on the path like the Magi did. They didn't know where it was going. They didn't know where I was leading them. But they kept following. They kept hearing my voice. They kept going after the star that I had put in place. I think every single one of us, we should be fighting hard against that complacent feeling in our faith. Let's be explorers for more of Jesus. There is always more of Jesus to be found. Let's do what we can to find him this week. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.